Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Turn off this baseless, tasteless skank show at the Super Bowl. I never saw anything. It was like a, a strip show somewhere south of the border. You know, we've gone from a wardrobe malfunction at a half uh, at a show there to a halftime malfunction. But I have to interrupt this show for a very significant announcement on the Savage Nation. It's just been announced minutes uh, before the show began that a giant in the field of talk radio, Rush Limbaugh, has revealed that he is suffering from a late stage of lung cancer. And all I can say is I wish Rush a painless recovery. And I want to thank him for opening the door to so many in the talk radio world. And for all he has done, by the way, for uh, President Trump. Rush Limbaugh reveals lung cancer. It's in the top of the Drudge Report. It was only announced moments ago that he has been diagnosed with advanced lung cancer. He announced it on his show just at the end of the show. And he said he will not be on the air for some days due to treatment. I can relate to that. I can relate to that. Now, I don't know the man personally. I never had a bad feeling about him. I mean, I'm not a great fan of his show, but I think he's a nice person by what I've seen. And I do wish Rush Limbaugh from Michael Savage a painless recovery. And I want to thank him for opening the door to so many in talk radio. Terrible illness, by the way. Just terrible. Terrible. One of the worst. It's, it's a death sentence is what it is. I mean, we hope it isn't, but what do you want me to say? Now, I got thrown off track by this because I wasn't going to talk about it. I didn't know about it. I was going to ask you to really care about the Iowa caucuses and what they indicate. I don't. Uh, I was going to ask you, do you think Bloomberg can beat Trump? I'm starting to wonder. Another big question, by the way. I was going to comment on the Super Bowl. I was going to ask you, were you as offended as I by the graceless, baseless, tasteless skank show at the Super Bowl halftime? I was going to talk about the coronavirus. Uh, It may have originated in a Chinese biowarfare lab, by the way. That's a rumor that started as a conspiracy theory, but is now starting to have some legs in some legitimate circles. And by the way, did this um, halftime show by these skanks advance or retard female equality. You know what I think about it. After all these years of advancing females in American society, you have this low-class trash rubbing up against poles and rubbing their crotches in front of the world, and I'm supposed to sit here and say, that's entertainment? I'd like to talk about that for a minute because it's not entertainment to me. It's a bad, soft-core porno show. And all I can say is this. One of the producers is part of the team that sat during the national anthem, that piece of garbage. 
He doesn't make enough money in this country. He has to sit down like he's bigger than the country. That, You know, if you sow the wind, you will reap the whirlwind, Mr. X crack dealer. If you sow the wind, you will reap the whirlwind, Mr. Crack dealer. What did I want to say to you about that show there? Oh, by the way, later on in this show, in the next hour, I have a really, as Ed Sullivan would say, a really, really big show. We have a great guest, one of our biggest, David Mamet, the great writer, the great writer, screenwriter, novelist. He'll be with us on the Savage Nation in the next hour. Can't wait to do that one. He is uh, a man who is a Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright, Oscar-nominated screenwriter, and he's been roundly criticized because he likes Donald Trump. He says the left's reaction to Donald Trump is psychotic. Now, this man is a great literary figure. Can you imagine what's going on in Hollywood? A man is a screenwriter, <laughs> says a thing like that. Could you imagine what Katzenberg, Katzenberg, Matzenberg, and Ratzenberg are trying to do to him? I can just imagine. Everybody's eyes were glued to the Super Bowl yesterday, including my own. I turned off the sound during the halftime show because I didn't want to hear the, the, the uh, I, I don't like the, I don't like cacophony. I can't stand it. I love music. I hate cacophony. That was not music. It was garbage. And I grew up on Latin music, classical music, jazz music. So I know music. I know Latin music. That was not Latin music. That was uh, bad burlesque uh, of some kind. What was the big takeaway? Were you offended at this graceless, baseless, tasteless skank show? Or am I just being a prude? You know, 54 years ago in the first Super Bowl, a college marching band and a high school drill team was the halftime show. Look how far we have fallen in our culture. We've gone from a high school drill team to a team that looks like it got drilled in high school. But that was a different time, a different generation, represented by people who loved America, not like that skank crack dealer who sat there uh, during the national anthem. You know, this is a sport that everyone once loved. And I think it was embodied for almost the last time in a great role model named Joe Montana. Joe Montana is a true gentleman of sports, a role model. And to this day, he believes he's not bigger than the game itself, like many of the players do today. In a recent interview, Joe Montana was asked, does he go to the football games? And Joe said, everyone thinks about the past players. But we had our time in the limelight, said Joe Montana. People ask me, would you go to the parade? He says, why would I go ride in the parade? I've been there. Why celebrate me? They don't need us old guys there interfering. It's nice to have guys around in certain areas to help younger guys understand what it takes to win. But this has nothing to do with me. That's a sports figure. That's a role model. That's someone children should look up to. Not the garbage that marches around today. We went from that to a 49er quarterback here from San Francisco kneeling when the national anthem was played. That spoiled nobody. And yesterday, one of the producers of the halftime skank show would not stand for the national anthem. And during the halftime skank show, Jennifer Lopez is, quote, dancing in front of a just unfurled Puerto Rican flag. Why? You saw as part of the show some kids who looked like they might be in cages. Was this a passive-aggressive attack on the Trump administration? I couldn't believe what I was watching. Remember Janet Jackson's wardrobe malfunction a little over 15 years ago? Well, MTV produced that show, and they were fired after that 
And the NFL then brought in great classic rock acts to perform at the halftime shows after the uh, MTV debacle. They brought in Paul McCartney, the Rolling Stones, Prince, Tom Petty, and The Who. But then they began to slide back with people like uh, Madonna, Beyonce, Katy Perry, on and on, until you got what you saw yesterday. And I ask you, is this sewer pipe of the NFL what is accepted by people now? Do you think this show advanced or set back the cause of female equality? Let's hope that I'm not alone in my analysis and that the NFL gets rid of this trash act and the producers and comes back to America and brings us something we could be proud uh, to watch during the next uh, NFL game or Super Bowl. You know, I remember the NFL Super Bowl game and uh, where was it? Superdome, Los New, or- New Orleans, Super Bowl 47, February 3rd, 2013. I was on the air. I went there. My son got me some tickets. Never been to one. I'm not a big sports fan, but I, I certainly appreciate fabulous athletes. The human form is astounding to me to see young men in such a form of health doing things that the normal body could, could only dream of doing, almost flying. Beautiful to watch. I walked out during the halftime show when Beyonce performed because I didn't know who she was. And all I saw was a discoordinated. I, I didn't like it. Okay, let me leave it at that. I thought she was ugly in her performance, klutzy in her performance, vulgar in her performance. I walked out into the streets of New Orleans. Luckily, destiny saved me because I didn't know New Orleans was so deadly and dangerous. I told you the story before, and I don't want to dramatize it. Yeah, I'm in the radio business, and I will dramatize from time to time, but this is not a dramatization. I said, I've had enough to my son. I got to leave. He said, Dad, where are you going? I said, I'll go back to the hotel. He said, Dad. It's the Super Bowl. How are you going to get there? I said, I'll find a camp. I walk out. The streets are deserted. Now, New Orleans is a deadly city. People are shot there for sport. They shoot people just to see them jump up in the air. That's what New Orleans is. Beautiful city in some ways. I walk out like a naive child, and there's a, it's like a ghost town outside the stadium. I'm wandering around outside that stadium, and out of nowhere, God sends an angel. Guy comes along in a pedicab, and he says, do you need a ride? I said, yeah, yeah, sure, I need a ride. I get in the cab. He said, do you have any idea what danger you're in walking around here? I said, no. He said, well, you're in, just get in the cab. And he took me back to the uh, hotel. Turns out he was some guy from New York, from a wealthy family, in his 20s, who was in between careers or jobs, looking to find himself, and he was riding a pedicab. You believe in angels? Do you? I don't know. I think there are special, uh, special times in a person's life that angels come to save us, and we don't even know what happens. But I know when it happens. I'm tuned into the angel thing. Anyway, a lot to talk about on the Savage Nation today. I hope I'm not alone in being appalled by the skank show. What about you? I'll be back. The Savage Nation. It's savage on demand. Sometimes... Yours truly wishes he was a Panamanian conga player instead of a talk show host. But, you know, we take the fate that we are given, and I'm not complaining. So let's go to the business at hand here, which is joyless in a way. You think I just want to sit here and bash the skank show? But someone's got to stand up and say enough is enough. Who are these people? How did the filth from the gutter become so rich? 
how did the drug culture and the garbage of the earth get so much power that everywhere you turn, you see the same thing? The tattoos, the filth, the pornography they push. And you're supposed to sit there and not say a word because they'll call you a racist. You know what I like to say to them? I'll tell you what a racist is. The, is the filth you put out. That's the worst racist crap I've ever seen. I don't know how a middle class Hispanic or a middle class family oriented black person could not agree with me. It's filth. It's ghetto trash. Offensive. You wanted your five-year-old daughter to watch that trash rubbing up against the pole? The sewer pipe that the NFL has become wasn't bad enough with that Colin Kaepernick with the knee? Now we have a crack dealer producing a show making us watch pornography? And I'll ask you the fundamental question. Did this show advance or set back the cause of female equality? Where are the lesbian feminists on this? They should all agree with me, but not one word, no, because I'm Mr. Conservative. They don't agree with me. It has to come from an approved personage. Oh, man, what a world this is. You know, it's not the answer that enlightens us, but the question. Ionesco said that, the great uh, playwright. Great, great statement. The godfather of the theater of the absurd. Eugene Ionesco. That's who I grew up on. I didn't grow up on Beyonce. I didn't grow up on Jay-Z with tattoos on his, on his uh, schmendrick. No, my friends, I did grow up in the uh, theater of the absurd, and I'll tell you, America's become the true theater of the absurd right now, when such trash has so much power in this country that advertisers trip on themselves to give this garbage money that they never could dream of. And then the rest of us have to sit there and not say a word with our lips sealed shut for fear they'll call you a racist. When the hell are you going to finally speak up with your pocketbook? Just stop turning on these shows. I never saw anything like it. And what the hell was that Puerto Rican flag doing up there? I don't live in Puerto Rico, do you? Could you imagine if someone, let's say uh, an Israeli soccer star, put up an Israeli flag? You wouldn't like that, would you? French flag, Greek flag. What was the Puerto Rican flag there for? To remind us that Jennifer Lopez is from Puerto Rico? Good for her! And what does that have to do with the Super Bowl? That's the only nationality we're allowed to see? The last I checked, Puerto Rico was a part of the United States of America. That's the last I checked. They got plenty of uh, money flowing over there from us to keep them going. They complained Trump didn't send them aid. The aid was sitting there in a warehouse so the thieving bums who run the, the, the island nation there could rob it. Then all of a sudden they dummied up and shut their mouths. First, Trump wasn't sending enough aid to Puerto Rico after the hurricane. Where's the aid? Where's the aid? Occasional cortex. Where's the aid to my people? Grew up in Westchester, but she's an indigenous Puerto Rican all of a sudden. An indigenous Puerto Rican from, from Westchester. Where's the aid? The racist Trump didn't send the aid. It was being hoarded in the warehouse by the, by the, by the thieves who run the country. That's all. It's like San Francisco. Have you seen the latest on the, uh, on the big... big bid rigging scandal no you know why because there's no newspaper oh man you have no idea the fbi has made that case so much bigger there's not a mention of it in the san francisco newspaper you know you may doubt some of the things i say but don't doubt everything i say because it will leave you dumb dumber than you already are
I have told you the reason the city has become a sewer, a cesspool, is because of corruption. How many years have I told you that? How many years have I told you San Francisco is the most corrupt city in the country, maybe the world? It's worse than most third world cities. They couldn't get away with this in Bangladesh, what they get away with here. What percent of the money that's given out for so-called homeless services gets kicked up the line to politicians? How high it goes, only the FBI will tell us. They've just expanded the investigation. So who runs the newspaper? The very Democrats who are hiding the corruption scandal. Who are these Democrats? I think they're all on the side of the impeachment game. Now you understand how they play the game? Everything they are, they accuse Trump of being. You get it? Get it if you don't get it. Michael Savage, a host like no other. From a wardrobe malfunction to a halftime malfunction in just one generation. From a high school drill team to a team that looks like it got drilled in high school. Did this show advance or set uh, the cause of female equality back 50 years? Uh, you know my, my opinion, don't you? It was sickening. Now, So I'm not a sports fan, but I, I love grace. I love grace. I love excellence in anything, and it's a national phenomenon. Moreover, a family member of mine was there in a very, very great spot in Miami texting me from the game. So I was watching it. You know, I was like part of it being there with the family member. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to try and keep it as generic as I can. Somewhere around the halftime mark, when I turned the sound off to watch, like was shocked that this this third-rate, third-world burlesque from Guadalajara was being played on uh, international TV, I get a text that we're trying to reach you uh, here at the stadium. Somebody wants to say hello to you. So, okay, I FaceTime. And there's, uh, I can say this because I don't think they would hide it. There's Kimberly Guilfoyle, Don Jr., my family member, uh, some other people from the administration in a box way up there. And they're saying, the president loves you, savage, blah, blah. It was amazing. Now, I'm sitting alone. Imagine, imagine this. It's dark already here. I'm sitting alone here in a room watching the NFL game. I turn off the sound for the skank show. And I was like, oh, my God, like the president loves you, you know, this and that. And then I think I can say this without violating any trust because it's a beautiful story. And I was, so, I don't know, I may get too emotional. I'm in a strange state right now. I've been very emotional lately, and I better be careful. I don't want to, you know, get weak and, and start cracking up on the radio here. Kimberly says to me, in a lot of noise, you know, she could hardly hear me. She says, I just want to thank you for what you did for my father before he died. I said, you took him. I said, I remember. She said, now her father was one of the great contractors here in San Francisco, one of the builders. She said, he built the ramp to the Golden Gate Bridge. And when he was dying, you took him out in your boat with me and my, my son. And you took him under the bridge. And he thanked you. I remember it was a beautiful moment I was able to do that for him. He died a few days later. Never under the bridge. Would you believe it? A man who grew up here, I think originally from Ireland, I don't really know, great builder. But there he was dying of cancer, and he was wrapped up in, in a blanket on my boat. I had a big boat at the time. I was really able to handle it. Well, I said, Kimberly, do you know what your father said to me after that? And she was, what, what? I can't hear you, noisy, uh, Super Bowl. I said, wait a minute. Listen to this before you guys go. What did he say? 
I said, he said to me, Michael, you handle a boat as good as the Kennedys. Now, that was quite a compliment coming from an Irishman, I got to tell you, because I'm not Irish, but I'm a man. So that was quite a something. I, I sold that boat years later, but I did handle that thing beautifully. It was a 59-foot Grand Banks. Uh, love that. I love that boat to this day. I dream of it to this day. I dream it sitting in a dock. Do you, you ever sell a car you dream about years later? I dream I own that boat. It's still sitting somewhere in a, in a, um, under something, a shed waiting for me, and it hasn't been washed or waxed in years. And I go up there, and I start the engines up. And every, it's like this dream comes back over and over again. My GB59, big 1,000-horsepower cat engines on it. Wow, did I love that thing. It just got to be too much to handle. You can't get people to take care of boats in the Bay Area. It's filled with the worst boat maintenance in the entire world. If it was Florida, you can get people who would love to do the work. Here, you got a bunch of snot noses. Everyone's a big shot. Everyone thinks they're, 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 they're Einstein, either to wax a boat or touch a thing. Everyone's a, a, a specialist. You know what? Go. Good luck to you. You're not going to get my business. I sold the thing. I couldn't take these people here in the boat maintenance business. What a bunch of schmucks. Any other city in the country, they thank you for the work. Here, they do you a favor. Half the idiots are incompetent anyway. They break things instead of fixing them. I got rid of the thing. So that was quite an experience for me. But let's get back to the issue at hand. There's a lot of issues at hand. And again, if you just tuned in, um, David Mamet, the Pulitzer Prize winning uh, playwright, screenwriter, novelist, will be with us on the Savage Nation in the next hour. He has a new book out called The Diary of a Porn Star by Priscilla Riston Ranger. I don't even know what it's about. I haven't seen it. A new play. And um, <laughs> big conservative likes Trump, so they're hating him in Hollywood. It's amazing to me how bigoted they are, how closed-minded, how just closed-minded they are. So when he's on the show, we're going to talk about, I want to ask him what his influences were. I'm going to talk about my influences as a writer, Eugene O'Neill, Eugene Ionesco. He may not, you know, I don't know if he knows me or my show. I guess he does, but I, I certainly look forward to the conversation. What do you think about the Super Bowl? Were you as repulsed as I was or am I alone? And I'm not an evangelical. I love evangelical. I'm not a religious guy, but I know class. That was not class and it was talentless, by the way. Just jumping around and gyrating and rubbing your crotch against the pole or rubbing yourself to me is disgusting, low-class garbage. And it was produced by people who wouldn't even get up for the, for the national anthem. New low, just a new low. Just a new low, that's all. I hope they fire that group. So when I put this up yesterday, uh, I said overpaid trash entertainers sitting during the national anthem. That was the two of those prizes. Then later, I said, halftime show looks like a bunch of low-grade skanks shaking their hips before a crowd of drunks. Is this really what America wants or what the vermin of Hollywood produce? Oh, did I get, oh, did I get responses to that? Most were agreeing with me, but a lot of you, if you're even listening, you probably don't even listen, were supporting the skank show. That's the way the country is today. Filth, filth, filth. You know what I said to the filth when I took time to answer them? Get married, live with a woman, Raise children for five years, then get back to me and tell me how you feel. Because until you have a child, and I don't mean just have sex. A, a dog could have sex. I knew a lot of people in North Beach, the poets. They all made believe they were fathers. They would impregnate a woman and never contribute two cents to the, to the woman. There was one in particular, a real piece of garbage. The poor woman had to raise the child on her own. 
not a father. A father stays with the wife. A father raises the child through thick and through thin, not the trash that they have today. They run away. They want him. Not, that's not a man. A man stays with a woman and raises a child with her. That's a man. That's what you do. That's what you do in a normal society. You get married and you, you stay with the family. That's what you do. That's it. That's what you do. But, uh, you know, today, look at the ethos of today. Everyone has a Twitter. Everyone has an opinion. Like, oh, it's a great show. Very sexy. Who do you think sending stuff like that? They're not married men with children. Because until you have a child and you raise that child and you don't want that child subjected to pornography on a national venue like that, you have no opinion whatsoever as far as I am concerned. Your opinion is worthless. Did, did I make my point clear? But I want to know what your point is. I got up at 4.30 today. I couldn't even wait for today's show because I had food poisoning. I would have been with you on Friday. As you know, I am going through a little recovery from something that happened to me in December. I didn't milk it. I didn't tell you about it. I'm not going to tell you the whole story. So I take a day here and a day there, and I was going to be on Friday. I got hit with a food poisoning 3.30 in the morning on Friday morning. I thought I was going to die. It was like a double-ender. Did you ever get hit with that? This was a nightmare. I think I know where I got it. One of my favorite, I shouldn't even say it. I guess I'm not sure whether it was a restaurant I frequent here in Marin County that someone didn't wash their hands thoroughly. Oh, if you only knew the hygiene in these places. But I could see the faces on a lot of the, the workers, how they hate the hatred for the customers. I wouldn't doubt that they gave it a little a taint. You know, they know who I am, and they could have given it a taint job. The flatbread could have gotten a little addition without my knowing it. They could have added something to the flatbread before serving it. If, if you get the drift, you, you don't know. You take your life in your hands. I mean, I come from an immigrant family that would never eat in restaurants. They, they didn't trust them. They'd say, what, are you crazy? They're dirty. They, they do it then. I come from immigrant people who would go pick the chicken out in a chicken slaughterhouse to make sure it was the healthiest chicken before they had the head cut off. You know, they buy a package thing in plastic. They chase the thing around and, oh, it was horrible as a kid to watch. I remember to this day a Wurtsboro somewhere. Straw everywhere, chickens screaming, Jewish butchers chasing them with knives with blood all over their faces and blood all over the aprons. It was like a slaughterhouse. My, 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 I don't know, aunt, I want that one. The healthiest chicken they pick. No, they're going to pick a sick chicken laying in the hay. What would you pick if you were going to pick a chicken? You'd pick one laying in the hay? Oh, let's take it home and heal it. Let's take it to animal care. Nobody would buy a chicken laying around in the dirt. They know it's, it's got a disease. They pick the chicken that's running around like an NFL player there. So I picked that one, the one that's running the most. And then the guy would go grab it by the neck, cut the head off. And then the horrible thing to a little kid is the chicken running around with the blood spurting out. I couldn't believe it was like appalling. And they thought it was nothing, my relatives, to, to, for a kid to see this. Nothing. They didn't even think it was offensive. They, what, they didn't even know what the word trauma was. They came from such trauma, they didn't even know what the word was. Now everything's a trauma. You say a wrong word to someone, they need a psychotherapist. These people came from real trauma. I, it's so sickening, the world that we're living in. If I could go into this, the stupidity of our society because of the snowflakes, what they've done to this country, this left-wing psychosis, when is this going to end? When does this end, this absurdity about sensitivity to a word? You know what real trauma is? Have you ever seen a real trauma injury in an emergency room 
Ask an ER doctor what a real trauma is. Or go and visit a ward where soldiers are recovering from a wound inflicted upon them by the practitioners of the religion of peace. Then you'll know what a trauma is, not what someone said to you in college, you idiot, you. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. Well, where do we go now? Am I the only one who was offended by the skank show? Alabama, Christy, line one. How did that skank show affect you and your family? Michael, we turned it off. It was just so disgusting. Well, that, it's as simple as that. You turned it off. How do they let such gutter trash produce shows like this for an international venue such as the Super Bowl? Sex sales. I guess that's all. Well, okay, next question. How is it these big advertisers who will not advertise on my show or any conservative radio show will advertise on a gutter rat show like that? It blows my mind, but I have to. Do you know that I do not have one car advertiser on this show? Because they're afraid of being attacked by the, by the media matters, people who lie about me, or attacked by the left. Do you have any idea what kind, of, what kind of garbage that you have to put up with in this business because you're not a left-wing communist? I was appalled by it, but you know this goes to a much bigger issue of why do advertisers line up to support pornography who will not support clean, wholesome shows like this one? Can you explain that one to me? I can. Take a look who's running the advertising industry. Okay, they're cousins to the entertainment industry, one and the same. Think Harvey Weinstein if you don't know the answer to the question. Just think of him. That's who's running the business. <clears throat> Connecticut, Tanya, you agree or disagree on the pornography element right. of this uh, halftime? I agree with you 100%. Did you turn it off or did you not see it at all? No, I, I saw it. And if my kids were young, I would have turned it off. I okay. My husband and when I, you as a grown woman with a husband, you probably were repulsed by it, right? I was repulsed by it, and I'm not a prude. I, I, ne- right? Neither am I. It was not only it was not only tasteless and quasi pornographic, but it was klutzy. It wasn't even there was no choreography. Remember in the earlier days, the girls all had to perform in sync. This was a group of. They looked like hysterical drug addicts just moving all their body parts in any way they wanted. What were they all, the girlfriends of the players on the field? Is that who they were? The family they, show. Probably. They put them back in the limo afterwards. They probably, you know, whatever. I don't really care what they did. It was tasteless, classless, and baseless. And it's time for the NFL to get its act together if they want an act at all. I'm Michael Savage. Stay with me. I'll be back. The Westwood One Podcast Network. Fans of the spoken word, welcome. This is a podcast. Greetings, pod recipients. You are entering the Savage Nation. Read the book, see the movie. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Thank God every day that I get up. That's all. Rush Limbaugh reveals lung cancer, stage four. Horrible story. 
Terrible story, terrible story. We wish him the best. You can say speedy recovery. What do, what do words mean? Better than wishing him the opposite, which is the verminous, caring liberals are doing on Twitter. It's sickening to see the hatred of the left, how they pose as compassionate, but they're so full of whatever they are, whatever. Anyway, so we're talking about the uh, skank show at the halftime yesterday. The Puerto Rican flag, the discoordinated skank porno show. I'm asking, did this show advance or set back the cause of female equality? You know the answer. Set it back. Not one word from the feminists because they're all leftists. Like the, the vermin who pr- produced the show. I hope the NFL gets their act together real soon. I was sickened by it. It's not that I'm a prudish or I've never seen this. First of all, it was tasteless and classless and discoordinated. That's number three. And look, I could talk about the, the Dems kick off the Iowa caucuses. What do I know what they're doing in Iowa? God bless them. It's a beautiful state. Great people. What is this with Iowa? I'm sitting here in California. What's with Iowa? I was just sitting here on the edge of my seat like the NFL. Who's going to win the game in Iowa? What do I care? Then the New Hampshire joke with 12 people in it. There are more people in the county I live in than in all of New Hampshire. I know the electoral votes, very few electoral votes in New Hampshire. Again, I'm supposed to sit here, what they're doing in Crackville there. The whole thing is a game put out by the media and by the two-party system to keep we the idiots on the edge of our seats thinking that it matters. You know, what matters is when you go to the polls, that's it. Every four years, we have a a, a democracy. In between that, we have nothing. We live in in a dictatorship, a dictatorship of two gangs, the Dem gang and the Repub gang. And right now I'm on the side of the Repub gang because it's a better choice than the communist gang. They fell all the way into the, into the, I never saw anything like what happened to the Dem party. I remember I'm the son of an immigrant. They were all Democrats in my family. It took me a lifetime to understand it was not the Democrat party of John F. Kennedy. It became the Democrat party of Karl Marx. Take it, just look at the Seltzer man. I believe that the, the racism, the sexism, the homophobia of Donald Trump had to come to a quick end and I want everything for free from everybody and take everything away from those who have it and I will guarantee that I could pay for everything simply by stealing from those who have. I am Bernie Sanders and I approve of this lie. I have worked not a day in my life and look where I have gotten just to show you what gullible people can be. I have never worked a day in my life. I have no, I have not produced a product or a service that anyone needs. I am proud of that just to show you what schmucks uh, the people are who believe in me. They are idiots, every last one of them. After all, my wife ripped off a, a, a college. We never went to jail for that. It just shows you how dumb the people of Vermont are. I am now a presidential candidate. It shows you how stupid the Democrats are to put me up there. I am uh, Bernie Sanders, and I approve of this monologue. I am laughing at my own voters. They are that stupid. And every time I say I hate Donald Trump, my ratings go up. It just shows you how stupid the people really are. I am Bernie Sanders, and I, I approve of my lies. Never worked a day in his life, never produced anything for anyone. Look where the schmuck is. He can't win. You know, you want to talk about that for a minute. I'll tell you, I don't know if uh, uh, Bloomberg could win. Um, You know, he's got tons of money. And by the inside story that I'm reading, Trump's uh, top people don't believe Bloomberg is a serious threat. I do. And so does the president, incidentally. And I can give him any advice. Stop calling him short and ridiculing him on that basis. Ridicule his policies, not his stature. You're making a big mistake again. You know, it's not 2016. Things have changed. And uh, 
you know, I'm just saying there's a, a certain point at which insults don't work. And the insult game is worn off. I think it has to stop. Leave it to me. I'm in talk radio. You're not. Leave it to us, the guys in talk radio, to do the insults. That's what we do for a living. But the president shouldn't be doing them. It's unnecessary. He should run on his, on his uh, achievements. He's got a lot of achievements, which I'll go down the list at another time. As far as Bloomberg goes, so he's spending all this money. Is he really that known west of the Hudson? Does anyone know who he is? I don't know. Someone in my family said, don't be silly. I don't know who he is. What did he do for New York? Did he really save New York? He was always a quizzling. He went both ways. Whichever way, you know, he was AC, DC, and foot power. Uh, you know, whichever way the wind blew, that's Bloomberg. Machiavellian, opportunistic. Bloomberg is like an opportunistic infection. Whichever way the wind blows, that's the way he goes. Look, businessman, yes, very smart. Now, here's where Trump is vulnerable, to be very blunt. See, Bloomberg built a business, and his fortune is, what, $50 billion? It's a legitimate business that he built, and that's a very good selling point. And as such, he will not wreck the economy. He will not tax the rich to any extent because he's one of the rich. He'll tax the stock market, like he says, but he's not going to destroy the economy like moron Sanders would because Sanders never built anything. He doesn't understand the first things about economics. Bloomberg does, so there's a vulnerability there. And, you know, frankly, if Bloomberg gets up head-to-head with Trump, he could say a few things that could do a lot of damage. And uh, I I won't give him any ammo on the show right now. I don't intend to give him any ammo at all. But uh, I wouldn't dismiss him so fast. A leftist? Yes. Communist? No. A Machiavellian leftist? Very dangerous. Uh, Maybe Bloomberg is on the order of an American Macron, you know, a like I'm the inside banking class type of guy, you know, that watch out there. Watch out. You keep calling him short. You're not going to win. You better start dealing with his actual policies. What did he do as mayor? How did he fail as mayor? Uh, dig up some uh, information on him in his business dealings. But watch out. Don't just say he's short. That's not going to work. He has no control over how he was born. He has control over what he did in his life. You understand that? Okay, that's all. So we're talking about the halftime show. David Mamet will be with us in the next half an hour. Actually, I've been looking forward. Maybe that's where I couldn't sleep. I don't know, because I really want to do this interview. But I think most of you want to talk about the graceless, baseless, tasteless skank show at the Super Bowl and how it uh, affected female equality. I haven't talked about the coronavirus. I think we should talk about it for a minute, too. It's a big growing threat, right? And we shouldn't rush it aside. Yes, I was the first in the media to say close the borders. I said stop the travel. I was saying that people were calling me every name under the sun, but it's my field. I know a lot about epidemiology. It was common sense. I taught you about the history of epidemiology. I taught you about diphtheria. I taught you about Dr. Snow in London, how he found the source of the infection, closed down the pump, stopped the epidemic. I said stop the travelers from China. And the CDC you know, it's a huge bureaucracy. It's like a universe unto itself. Drag their heels. They're finally doing the right thing. And uh, if I told you that my influence over this issue had something to do with what's being done, don't be surprised if that is the truth, because it is. Who else was speaking out against uh, about the open travel and not letting, letting them in? Nobody but me. 
So, you know, I have expertise and common sense, and I know the history of epidemiology. So they were hearing, they listen every day, and they've, they're doing it. They're doing the right thing. The CDC is actually finally doing the right thing. It's not that they were incapable of it. You've got a lot of brilliant people in there. But it's a bureaucracy. Their hands were tied. What, do you think I was the only one who saw this? Their hands were tied by the bureaucracy itself. They need to get a green light from someone on top. You know, whoever runs, who, who does the uh, CDC report to? I don't know the exact chain of command, but you know it all goes up to the president at the end of the day. And, and Donald's a pretty smart guy when it comes to, he's a germaphobe, number one. And number two, he's smart. You know, so he figured out, <laughs> stop them from coming in from the, from the epidemic zone, from the epicenter of the, of the, of the uh, epidemic. That's all. You'd have to be a genius to explain it to him. Okay, makes sense. Shut it down. So now the Chinese are screaming, how dare you cut down the travel? What's wrong with you? They're covering it up. You see them spraying the people with hoses on the runway? Wow. Now the Beijing is accusing the USA of spreading panic. I got up so early, so like 4.30, I was really like watching the commodities market. Actually, no, it was late at night last night. The commodities market opened in, in uh, Asia. It was like collapsing commodity prices. It's very interesting. Why did oil prices collapse in Asia? Because there's so many sick people in China that they're not going to be able to like move around as much and buy as many things. So there's not a need for as much oil. Could you believe how sensitive this is to that? It's actually good for the earth and good for the animals. They'll stop slaughtering everything that walks and breathes and flies for two seconds. Everything walks, breathes and flies, they grab and then they crush and kill and sell. Maybe the animals will get a breather for a while. They'll stop slaughtering animals in, 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 uh, you know, because they won't be able to afford it. They'll be busy worrying about dying. They won't buy like a tusk to turn into a carving. Maybe the poor hippos will have a chance to live another week. It's a crazy world how things work. Huh? It's like a spider web. You know, you touch the web here and over there it moves. You know, there's always like what is good luck, what is bad luck in this world. Now, don't, don't misinterpret me again. I didn't say it's good luck to have the disease. I didn't say that. But listen to what I did say in the bigger picture. Try not to be an idiot. Make believe you don't work for Media Matters and report to George Soros. So, Iowa caucuses, uh, Limbaugh. That's, by the way, this Limbaugh story is a very big story for the whole media. And his influence is enormous. You could not say, you, you can't say he's the, he's the godfather of talk radio. He isn't. But he was a man who opened the door to many people. I would say including myself. I came along in 94. He had started in 88. And I would be a fool not to say he didn't have an influence on, on my show. He did. Is he a friend of mine? No. Did we get along? I don't know him at all. At all. But I wish him well. But you could say, guys, who were the influencers really in talk radio going back to the 50s? You ever hear of a man named Bob Grant? Does anyone remember him anymore? One of the greats. One of the greats, Bob Grant in New York. I would hear him from time to time. I was a kid. I didn't even know what he was talking about. But I knew he was there. I liked his voice. I liked his persona. There are others, and some of them are still around. There's some guys on Cumulus at night. Great guys go back a long time. They're all, uh, you know, pioneers in this field. And, uh, you know, you have to look at how it all happens. How did it start? How did talk radio actually start? You know, in, in, until this modern era, you weren't even allowed to express an opinion. And then they got rid of that whole control thing, the, the fairness doctrine, so to speak. Once they broke the fairness doctrine, people were able to say what they believed. Pelosi wanted to put it back. Feinstein wanted to put it back. They were actively lobbying. For, but so were some of the Republicans. 
I talked about them. They didn't want freedom of speech. Anyway, so here we are. Look what's going on. Really, a lot of stuff is happening all at once. This is a very, it's like a, like a tectonic plate is shifting in the media right now. There's a tectonic plate moving under the surface of not only radio, but the media. The, the media landscape is changing so fast. The news cycle is so quick. The viciousness has never been at this level. The access of some of the stupidest people on earth to Twitter, illiterate, illiterate people who have no brains, no education, are able to equate themselves with some of the giants of their time simply because they can write six words. Then it does tie into the Super Bowl. How else could people with such, le- such low talent and such pornographic uh, level rise to that level other than in a society that's been broken? What is the motto of my show? Borders, language, culture. That's culture to you? That, that's your, your idea of culture? A bunch of uh, skanks gyrating in front of a pole? That's how far we've fallen? So, you know, it all ties in a strange way to the collapse of the media in a strange way that this could pass for an entertainment, a family entertainment. But look who it follows. It follows on the heels of Adam Schiff and Nadler. Would you ever think a man like Nadler could reach that level of national prominence? Tell me, uh, honestly, put aside what you think of Trump. Could you believe that a ticket fixer from Brooklyn like that, a night school lawyer, by the way, the lowest of the low, the boys who could not get into law school would go to night school, the ones that had like gravy on their suits, uh... I don't want to talk about him being fat with the waist up to the breast. Okay, fine. But the, you could see the tuna stain on his in the subway, schlepping at night with the paper bag. You know, okay, it's a, it's a compelling story. That becomes an impeachment star? The, the, the doughboy they roll out? And then he jumped to the podium to, to upstage Schiff? I couldn't believe what I was watching. Now, on the fo- you follow that up with the Super Bowl collapse. It's like a meltdown of the whole culture. But I'm getting ahead of myself back in a minute. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. Like a spastic. Then rub against the pole. Get paid a million dollars rubbing your crotch three times every, every second. And putting your butt into the camera. I'm sorry it came right out of the ghetto. It's trash. It's trash. It's filth and discoordinated dreck. And if no one says it, they're going to get worse and worse and worse. It's like not standing up to Kaepernick when he did the knee. It's because many of you stopped watching the NFL. They got the message and they stopped it. They told the players, you know, get in line. This is a business and you're driving fans away. Unless you express your contempt for this low class trash show that they performed yesterday at the Super Bowl, you're going to get it. It's going to get worse. You want to keep going to that parade? They used to have a college marching band, a high school drill team at at the Super Bowl. Look what they've degenerated to. And what's with the Puerto Rican flag? What was that doing there for? Oh, because one of them's from Puerto Rico? So what, if one of the singers was from Romania, we should have a Romanian flag? This is, I'm sorry, not borders, language, culture. It's not a family. It's not a national unity. And you have to tell the advertisers in no uncertain terms you're not buying their products. They're all very skittish about that. 
That's all. Okay, when I come back, the great Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright, Oscar-nominated screenwriter, David Mamet, right here on The Savage Nation. Don't miss it. Michael Savage, a host like no other. Welcome back to The Savage Nation. We have a great guest on right now. Not normal fare for talk radio, especially in times like these. But there's a political overtone to David Mamet, Pulitzer Prize-winning uh, author, playwright, screenwriter, you name it. And he joins us with his new book, What's Going On in the World of Politics. I saw interviews going back to the Village Voice in 08, David Mamet, Why I Am, why I am No Longer a Brain-Dead Liberal, I saw a Paris Review interview uh, by John Lahr. I mean, you got to read these things. I've linked them up on michaelsavage.com to understand the context that we're going to talk about. But the time is so short, let's not run over it. Mr. Mamet, welcome to the Savage Nation. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. So I have read many of your things. I've seen many of your films. And um, who was it who influenced you the most as a young writer? Can you tell us that? Absolutely. It was the three things. It was the work of Harold Pinter and also the work of Samuel Beckett. And also as a kid, I worked at the Second City in, in Chicago watching improvisational theaters. Young kid as a teenager, as a, as a busboy there. And mm. I was the people improvising short scenes. And then I read Harold Pinter's review sketches and I saw that Pinter was doing exactly the same thing. Then I read Chekhov and I said, my gosh, he's doing exactly the same thing. All of Chekhov's plays are really just short sketches woven together and mm. I'm like, well, hell, you know, uh, I'm a gag writer, I can do that, so I started. Mm. Well, I myself was influenced by Eugene O'Neill, especially Long Day's Journey and Tonight. I remember lines that carried me through many a day, such as success is a stale finale, the struggle is the success. I'm sure you, you know, have encountered this over your life. I also was influenced personally by Eugene Ionesco, the godfather of the theater of the absurd, did either of these men have any, you know, imp impact upon you, O'Neill or Ionesco? Well, yeah, O'Neill had a great impact on me because as a young man, I was doing a lot of writing in the evening. I was doing a lot of work during the day. And when I went to see an O'Neill play, I could catch up on my sleep. And that, so that was O'Neill. But Ionesco, <laughs> thanks. So I, I, these are the gags, people. So then I went to, uh, I was in Paris a long time, 40 years ago, when I was watching Rhinoceros done in French, and I, everyone was laughing thickly, and I realized, oh my God, it's a comedy. It's just a comedy. So I went back and I re looked again at all of the uh, theater of the absurd, all the literature and the uh, aesthetics that I grew up reading. I said, ah, these guys, they're, they're gag writers too. Yeah, <laughs> very funny. So is, is it all a, a cosmic joke, as Henry Miller said? Is, is, is everything a cosmic joke? That's the question. So we in, in the West think that the highest form of drama is called tragedy, which is the final realization that we are not in control and that we are sinners, uh, and here we are. And comedy is almost tragedy, which is we are not in control and we are sinners, but the gods exist and sometimes they relent. So these are the two things that I've been trying to write for the last 50 years. Because the, the big question is that question, not posed by Plato, but posed by Daffy Duck, which is, hey, what's going on here anyway? So that's, that's the, uh, the question that I've been addressing. Well, you have a new book out entitled The Diary of a Porn Star by Priscilla Riston Ranger. What is that about? 
Well, I was looking at Stummy Daniels, and I was thinking uh, 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 all that circus, and I was thinking, I wonder what I wonder what a porn star does when she's not doing porn films. So hmm. I have this imaginary character in the book is a, is a joke. There's nothing pornographic in it. We're <laughs> talking about she worked for the United States Forest Service. <laughs> lectured at the she lectured at the Naval War College and <laughs> fishing with Shimon Perez. <laughs> oh God! So I see. I have, I've got to get that book. I can't. Wait, I can't wait to read that book. But look, you become even more controversial than you've ever been because you. I, I didn't want to drag it into politics, but maybe you you wouldn't mind. Uh, you, you came out saying Trump's not such a bad guy, right? Well, I mean, I I've done some business with him personally, and I don't think he's a bad guy. More importantly, he's a great president. I think he's and he's reminded us. As any uh, sui, uh, sui generis, as any person that comes out of left field, he reminds us what it's all about. And I, I, I think of what uh, it, was, it was Bobby Johnson when he saw Arnold Palmer play golf. He says he, he plays a game with which I am unfamiliar. So mm. he comes out of left field, and he spent his life hobbing and nodding with politics, buying and selling politicians, dealing with uh, the mob, dealing with the unions, dealing with contractors all day long. Yeah, well, it's kind of no different than dealing with Nancy Pelosi and the Democrat mob, is it? So, look, so you've been tirelessly lambasted for this, and I don't know how. How does it work in Hollywood that you support the people they hate the most? What are they, what are they doing to you? Well, I've been, I've been, I've been basically blacklisted by the, the media of the left, and they don't, talk, I don't exist to them anymore. Mm, oh, the Stalinist method. You, you don't exist. I get it. The Stalinist methodology. Yeah, okay. You know, you got to be known by your enemies as, as well as your friends. And as far as uh, Hollywood goes, I, you know, I wrote many, many movies and TV shows for a number of years. And I'm, I, you know, I'm kind of getting too old to do that anyway. So I'm just going to sit in my garden and smell the flowers and write, write plays and books for a while. But the terrible thing in Hollywood is that anyone who is a conservative and is what we say below the line, that if they're not a featured player or a featured producer or writer, they have to keep mum because when they open their mouths, they lose their career. And that's the saddest thing I ever saw. Well, of course, it goes to the whole issue of freedom of speech is what writers are all about. And uh, how can you have an open uh, theater, an open movie, an open play without freedom of speech and freedom of thought? So, so obviously, as one of the leaders in your field, you must be feeling this terribly. But you're not the only conservative in Hollywood. You know, you look at a guy who plays it on the Ray Donovan show. And do you, do you know him at all, the, the, the great actor? Who, who, who are we talking about? No, not Schreiber. The guy, John Voigt, John Voigt. You know John? John's a very staunch Trump supporter and, and, and conservative. Oh, of course. I know, yeah, I've known him for years. Yes, absolutely. Well, I became friendly with him because I have a home in the area I go to once in a while. Somehow, somehow he, you know, he manages to survive. I wonder how that works. I don't know how it, how it works at all uh, in, in that world. I don't know how they haven't thrown him off, off the stage. Well, these are the people who, who as a, he's, he's above the line. He's a featured player, and he's got enough clock. Listen, there's an old Hollywood gag that Samuel Goldwyn, who run Goldwyn Studios, Metro Goldwyn, said of somebody, throw that son of a gun out of my office, and I never want to see him again unless I need him. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's that sounds like Hollywood. But look, you're surviving. You have a new book. You're still doing screenplays, right? Yeah, I'm writing screenplays. I have a new book, A Diary of a Porn Star. Great title. And I'm, I'm about to open a new play uh, in Los Angeles this month. 
and I did a play in, uh, with John Malkovich last summer on the West End in London about a, a bloated movie producer who's accused of sexual uh, harassment. So I'm, I'm having a good deal of fun. Your, your play opens, um, it's called The Christopher Boys Communion, starring William H. Macy and Rebecca Pigeon, scheduled to begin performances February 13 at the Odyssey Theater Ensemble in Los Angeles. That sounds fascinating. Uh, how does anyone get a ticket for that? Maybe I should come down there and go to that one. It's, only, it's like next week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the way to do it is, I think if you look up the Odyssey Theater, they have a website there, Odyssey Theater in Los Angeles. Right. It's, it's, we're having a lot of fun. Well, okay, let's, if we can, Mr. Mamet, let's go back to your, your statement about Mr. Trump. You said you did business with him. Can you tell us what that was? Yeah, he called me up out of the blue um, a few years ago. Uh, it was in the, it was in the 60s, before 16, and he had some idea about a couple of movies ideas that he wanted to do. So we kicked it around for a few hours, and it, you know, like like most things in show business, it, it, Peter Nott, it never came to anything, but I enjoyed talking with him. Hmm. Yeah, he is that spontaneous, uh, absolutely. When he offered me hot dogs on Air Force One in the flying Oval Office, I saw who the man really was. It wasn't the first time I had met him. He's the opposite of what people say he is, absolutely the opposite. But that's typical of the left today. They actually reflect on him what they are themselves in so many ways, unfortunately. Uh, it's sad that Hollywood has not uh, permitted itself to become a little more tolerant in a business that requires tremendous tolerance, isn't it? Well, uh, if you look at Hollywood over the course of the last hundred years that it's been in operation, hundred plus years, basically what they're doing is they're selling popcorn, right? They want to put the pushies in the seats, and they make money off of selling the popcorn, and they're catering to the zeitgeist. I mean, you know, Aeschylus and Plautus and Shakespeare do not write movies, and people don't go to the movies to see uh, philosophy. They go to the movies to forget the troubles for an hour and a half. Yes, hundred percent uh, yeah, right. You know, I, I was looking at Ionesco again. I, I don't know if you like them or not, Theater of the Absurd. And one of his lines was, ideology separate us, dreams and anguish bring us together. I thought that was a great line. What do you think of that? Well, I think it's absolutely true because um, I, I wrote a play we did on Broadway a few years ago called November about a president of the United States. And a speechwriter is writing him a speech, and she says, you know, people say we're a country divided, but we really aren't. She says, what we are is a democracy. That means that people have different um, goals, they have different aspirations, but we laugh at the same jokes. We slap each other on the back, and we made that month's quota. And I'm not at all sure that we don't love each other. And that's what I thought watching the Super Bowl yesterday, which is, uh, the game was spectacular, great game, magnificent athletes. But if you look at the commercials, the yeah. commercials are, are superb. And they're all about, not about diversity, but they're about unity. Right? Black people, white people, gay people. Well, yeah, I thought that the athletes were in a, in a class of their own, but I've been, I've been smashing the, the halftime show, which got me sick, because I think it set back the cause. I think it set back the cause of female equality, not only because of its pornographic element, but because it was, it was graceless. It didn't even have any grace to it, but that's, you know, only my opinion. You know, just going back to this one thing again on the politics, dreams and anguish bring us together. Remember 9-11, how the people came together? I pray to God we don't have to have another national tragedy for us to lay down the, the, the hatchets for each other. But it seems to me it's never been this bad, uh, David. And I've been around a, a long time in America. I've lived through an awful lot of periods here. I've never seen it this bad. Have you? Uh, no. That is to say, if we look at the, uh, the fora and we look at the, the, the universities, we look at the, uh, the, the media, it's a, 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 aside from 
you talk radio and, and uh, Wall Street Journal, it's they're, what they're preaching is hatred and divisiveness. But if you actually go around the country, well, the country's doing great. People are getting along grandly. And yes. it's a shame that the left, the terrible thing the left has done is that it, what, what, is, what it's imposed upon anyone who's not a conservative is it's my way or the highway. If you don't ascribe to everything that we, whoever has the microphone today, says, you, you're going you're gonna to risk losing your career, your wife, your husband, your children, and your face in the community. And that's, that's terrible, because the people on the left can't allow, liberals can't allow themselves even to question, because someone at a liberal dinner party who says, well, wait a second, on the other hand, that party's over. Unbelievable. I know your time is short. And I truly honor the time we have spent together. We're speaking with David Mamet, the Pulitzer Prize winning playwright. And much more than that, his new book is The Diary of a Porn Star by Priscilla Riston Ranger. Of course, uh, that's not a real person. He has a new play coming out uh, next week, February 13th at the Odyssey Theater Ensemble in Los Angeles. David, thank you so much for being with us on The Savage Nation. It's a, it's a, it's a great pleasure. Thanks for having me. Unbelievable, right? Short and sweet. There's so much more that I feel we could have talked about. But remember, we have a time constraint in talk radio. And uh, if you have any comments to make about this uh, discussion that I've just had or you'd like to hear the whole thing, it will be on the podcast later today as I think one of my most interesting interviews. Someone said, oh, I can't wait to... When I put it on Twitter last night, they said, oh, I can't wait to hear David Mamet on your show because I remember when you interviewed the father of the neutron bomb. People remember interviews I have done over 20 years ago. I'll never forget the Samuel Cohen interview, by the way. I'll be back. Home of Borders. Language. Culture. The Savage Nation. It is the uh, Savage Nation. Uh, Dems kick off the Iowa caucuses. Uh, I love the David Mamet interview, and I'd like to talk about it for another second. I know it's not you know, in the front and center of your thoughts. You're thinking about impeachment. You're thinking about Trump. You're thinking about Limbaugh. I don't blame you. But let me just do a follow-through stroke on that interview, if I may, because I referenced an influence of mine when I was a young guy trying to be a writer. And I said I was influenced by Eugene O'Neill and Eugene Ionesco. And I asked David, did they influence you? And he, he very shrewdly said, oh, yes, when I was working all day long as a busboy, he said, uh, I would go to see Eugene O'Neill because that's when I got a chance to sleep. I caught it as a joke. It took me a few seconds to realize he was being sarcastic. But he really didn't say anything about Ionesco, and he's been forgotten. But he was very influential when I was younger. He uh, was known as the godfather of the theater of the absurd, which might have some effect to this day because we're living through the, a time, an absurd time altogether in so many ways. But Ionesco was a Romanian-born playwright, and he wrote, the best-known thing he wrote was called The Rhinoceros. So what was that about? It was an allegory protesting totalitarianism. And it involves townsfolk in a French village on a quiet Sunday morning who hear that a rhinoceros is charging through the streets. And this illustrates that ordinary people find it difficult to resist the extraordinary. And all the characters in the play, except the publisher's clerk, eventually turn into rhinoceroses. And when it opened in Dusseldorf, Germany in 1959, there were 58 curtain calls. And what was it interpreted as? Well, over the years, critics interpreted it as anti-Hitler, anti-Peronist, anti-Communist, anti-Leftist, and more. He said, I first thought of the rhinoceros image during the war, World War II. 
as I watched Romanian statesmen and politicians and later French intellectuals accommodate themselves to Hitler's way of thinking. Ionesco said in a 1985 interview, he said, they might say something like, well, of course, the Nazis are terrible, terrible people. But, you know, you have to credit them with their good points. And you wanted to say to them, but don't you see if you start if you start granting them a good point here, a good point there, eventually you will concede everything to them, which is exactly what happened. And then they looked upon you as an alarmist, if you said that. Then a nuisance, finally an enemy to run down. They looked like they wanted to lower their heads in charge, Ionesco said, that he was equally hostile to socialism on the political left and Nazism on the political right. The only things I have ever been hostile to, he told another interviewer who was trying to pin labels on him, was stupidity and the violation of human rights. I direct that to George Soros and Media Matters. They ought to learn from the past before they become part of the history they are trying to portray. This has been the Savage Nation for Monday. Our hopes and prayers go to Rush Limbaugh. The Westwood One Podcast Network. 